Hello, welcome to AP History 360 podcast number one. Today's date is November 3rd, 2006. My fellow Americans. 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 Freedom of speech and expression. Everywhere in the world. The word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of Today I am an inquisitor. This is AP History 360 from Boston Spa High School in Boston Spa, New York. Our goal is to share historical perspectives and observations that complement our studies of United States history. We will be listening to two segments today. Segment one is Dispatches, 1787. We'll be going back in time for an interview with Thomas Paine. For segment two, we will provide an analysis of Barbara Jordan's statements on impeachment of Richard Nixon. The author of Common Sense. First of all, Thomas, although you're not originally born in America, you obviously feel very strongly because you're an advocate for the American Revolution. How did you come to feel this way? Well, Christy, I've always loved the country and the people in it. Uh, I've been impressed by uh, American possibilities and uh, their resistance to British impositions. Um, also, like myself, many of them have come over in order to start a new life and make something out of absolutely nothing. And uh, that's, that would probably be um, the reason why I uh, felt so strongly about the revolution. Well, that's great. That's a, definitely a reason why many people come to America to start over. Now, Common Sense, the pamphlet that you wrote, had a major impact on American society. Tell us about Common Sense. Well, Christy, I wanted to write it in a language that was easy for many to understand. It was an important point that I wanted to get across, and um, it, many people needed to hear it. And in order for that to be done, it needed to be written in a language that all could understand, and not just some, not just the um, higher class. Uh, also, it points out that uh, how ridiculous it is for, um, and against the law of nature, for a continent ruled by an island. Oh, great. You also wrote The Rights of Man. What was your basis for that? Well, I wrote it a while later, uh, after Common Sense, and it was basically to reiterate the points of Common Sense and to um, impress the importance of uh, democracy and to remind the people where they came from. Um, it was uh, a good follow-up of common sense, I believed. Well, it definitely is. Now, what are your thoughts on the eve of the ratifying the Constitution for our country? I believe that I am, I am extremely impressed. Um, I am proud of uh, the people and what they have done so far and what I believe that they can continue to do. Uh, I do have some reservations, however. Um, we, if America becomes um, like Britain again, if uh, too much power is given to one person, uh, to a monarch, then it'll just uh, turn out to uh, be a same, the same as Britain. But um, with the checks and balances that are in place uh, in this new government, I don't believe that that can happen, and um, I'm very excited to see uh, how the nation will develop. Well, thank you for sharing with us today, and thanks for all of your impact from Common Sense.
You're welcome, Christy. And now, reflections and observations on Barbara Jordan's speech given to the House of Representatives on July 25, 1974, about the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Barbara Jordan talks about how she is finally included in the We the People and the Constitution. Now it is her duty to follow laws and punish those who disobey them. Richard Nixon was guilty. He attempted to subvert the Constitution, betrayed public trust, and was connected in suspicious manner. He knew suspicious characters who were breaking the law and didn't turn them in. He knew they stole money from the Republican Party. He knew they broke into a psychiatrist's office and about their plan to discredit Kennedy. He even even met with them 27 times. Barbara Jordan did not want to sit back and watch people break laws and get away with it. The separation of powers comes into play in Richard Nixon's case. Congress needed the Supreme Court in order for the president to be impeached. Congress has power to check the president's power so that he doesn't become like a king. Barbara Jordan felt that it was her duty to prosecute those who commit crimes. If people don't follow the rules, then the Constitution is worthless. A key component in her speech was the constitutional principle of checks and balances. Checks and balances is a system designed to ensure that no one branch of the government becomes too powerful. Each of the three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial, have specific powers to limit or check other branches. Some examples are the legislative branch can impeach and remove the president from office. The executive branch appoints federal judges. And the judicial branch can declare laws and executive acts unconstitutional. The system of checks and balances is used to prevent domination or abuse of power. Now, here is Barbara Jordan's speech. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I join my colleague, Mr. Rangel, in thanking you for giving the junior members of this committee the glorious opportunity of sharing the pain of this inquiry. Mr. Chairman, you are a strong man, and it has not been easy, but we have tried as best we can to give you... uh, as much assistance as possible. Earlier today, we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We the people. It's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in We the People. Today, I am an inquisitor, and hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the Constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution. Who can so properly be the inquisitors for the nation as the representatives of the nation themselves? The subjects of its jurisdiction are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men. And that's what we're talking about. In other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. It is wrong, I suggest, it is a misreading of the Constitution for any member here 
to assert that for a member to vote for an article of impeachment means that that member must be convinced that the president should be removed from office. The Constitution doesn't say that. The powers relating to impeachment are an essential check in the hands of the body, the legislature, against and upon the encroachments of the executive. The division between the two branches of the legislature, the House and the Senate, assigning to the one the right to accuse and to the other the right to judge. The framers of this Constitution were very astute. They did not make the accusers and the judges and the judges the same person. We know the nature of impeachment. We've been talking about it a while now. It is chiefly designed for the president and his high ministers to somehow be called into account. It is designed to bridle the executive if he engages in excesses. It is designed as a method of national inquest into the conduct of public men. The framers confided in the Congress the power, if need be, to remove the president in order to strike a delicate balance between a president swollen with power and grown tyrannical and preservation of the independence of the executive. The nature of impeachment, a narrowly channeled exception to the separation of powers maxim. The Federal Convention of 1787 said that. It limited impeachment to high crimes and misdemeanors and discounted and opposed the term maladministration. It is to be used only for great misdemeanors, so it was said in the North Carolina Ratification Convention. And in the Virginia Ratification Convention, we do not trust our liberty to a particular branch. We need one branch to check the other. No one need be afraid. The North Carolina Ratification Convention, no one need be afraid that officers who commit oppression will pass with immunity. Prosecutions of impeachments will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community, said Hamilton in the Federalist Papers number 65. We divide into parties, more or less friendly or inimical to the accused. I do not mean political parties in that sense. The drawing of political lines goes to the motivation behind impeachment. But impeachment must proceed within the confines of the constitutional term high crime and misdemeanors. Of the impeachment process, it was Woodrow Wilson who said that nothing short of the grossest offenses against the plain law of the land will suffice to give them speed and effectiveness. Indignation so great as to overgrow party interest may secure a conviction, but nothing else can. Common sense would be revolted if we engaged upon this process for petty reasons. Congress has a lot to do. Appropriations, tax reform, health insurance, campaign finance reform, housing, environmental protection, energy sufficiency, mass transportation. Pettiness cannot be allowed to stand in the face 
of such overwhelming problems. So today we're not being petty. We're trying to be big because the task we have before us is a big one. This morning, in a discussion of the evidence, we are told that the evidence which purports to support the allegations of misuse of the CIA by the president is thin. We're told that that evidence is insufficient. What that recital of the evidence this morning did not include is what the president did know on June the 23rd, 1972. The president did know that it was Republican money, that it was money from the Committee for the Re-election of the President, which was found in the possession of one of the burglars arrested on June the 17th. What the President did know on the 23rd of June was the prior activities of E. Howard Hunt, which included his participation in the break-in of Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist, which included Howard Hunt's participation in the Dita Beard ITT affair, which included Howard Hunt's fabrication of cables designed to discredit the Kennedy administration. We were further cautioned today that perhaps these proceedings ought to be delayed because certainly there would be new evidence forthcoming from the President of the United States. There has not even been an obfuscated indication that this committee would receive any additional materials from the president. The committee subpoena is outstanding, and if the president wants to supply that material, the committee sits here. The fact is that on yesterday, the American people waited with great anxiety for eight hours, not knowing whether their president would obey an order of the Supreme Court of the United States. At this point, I would like to juxtapose a few of the impeachment criteria with some of the actions the president has engaged in. Impeachment criteria, James Madison, from the Virginia Ratification Convention. If the president be connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter him, he may be impeached. We have heard time and time again that the evidence reflects the payment to defendants, money. The president had knowledge that these funds were being paid and these were funds collected for the 1972 presidential campaign. We know that the president met with Mr. Henry Peterson 27 times to discuss matters related to Watergate and immediately thereafter met with the very persons who were implicated in the information Mr. Peterson was receiving. The words are, if the president is connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter that person, he may be impeached. Just a story. Impeachment is attended, is intended for occasional and extraordinary cases where a superior power acting for the whole people is put into operation to protect their rights and rescue their liberties from violations. We know about the Houston plan. We know about the break-in of the psychiatrist's office. 
We know that there was absolute, complete direction on September 3rd when the president indicated that a surreptitious entry had been made in Dr. Fielding's office after having met with Mr. Ehrlichman and Mr. Young. Protect their rights. Rescue their liberties from violation. The Carolina Ratification Convention impeachment criteria, those are impeachable who behave amiss or betray their public trust. Beginning shortly after the Watergate break-in and continuing to the present time, the President has engaged in a series of public statements and actions designed to thwart the lawful investigation by government prosecutors. Moreover, the President has made public announcements and assertions bearing on the Watergate case, which the evidence will show he knew to be false. These assertions, false assertions, impeachable, those who misbehave, those who behave amiss or betray the public trust. James Madison again at the Constitutional Convention, a president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution. The Constitution charges the president with the task of taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. And yet, the president has counseled his aides to commit perjury, willfully disregard the secrecy of grand jury proceedings, conceal surreptitious entry, attempt to compromise a federal judge, while publicly displaying his cooperation with the processes of criminal justice. A president is impeachable if he attempts to subvert the Constitution. If the impeachment provision in the Constitution of the United States will not reach the offenses charged here, then perhaps that 18th century Constitution should be abandoned to a 20th century paper shredder. Has the President committed offenses and planned and directed and acquiesced in a, con in a course of conduct which the Constitution will not tolerate? That's the question. We know that. We know the question. We should now forthwith proceed to answer the question. It is reason and not passion which must guide our deliberations, guide our debate. Thank you for listening to AP History 360 podcast number one. For additional information and show notes, please feel free to visit our website at aphistory360.blogspot.com. Hello, this is Mr. Hengsterman. Thank you for listening to AP History 360. This is our first experiment in podcasting for Advanced Placement U.S. History classes at Boston Spa High School. I'd like to thank Sammy, Jenna, Christina, and Christy for their brave experimentation with this new technology. And I hope, hopefully, you'll be listening to future podcasts produced by our class. Uh, before we go, I just want to share some funny outtakes that did not make the final cut for our first ever show. So thanks again, and please uh, feel free to leave a comment on our blog for us. Thank you. Hello, welcome to AP History Podcast Number One, Three Sixty. <laughs> oh, right now? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello, welcome to AP History Three Sixty Podcast Number One. Today's date is November third, two thousand six. <laughs> I was uh, very impressed by that, and 
came to love the country. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> you wrote how to... <laughs> Peter, stop! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Should I say United States history so it's less of a tongue twister? Okay. Okay. <laughs>